Hang on, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. Bonjour, bonjour, gens de pouvoir. Allo, allo, there, power people. <laughs> A pleasure to be with you once again. I am Mr. Douglas, and we are here delving into the delicious excerpts from Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power, Volume 2. Today our episode enjoys tasty treats from the buffet table of chapters 22 through 26. Let's pick up our plate and fill up on some more Ingo Swan wisdom. Mmm, tasty. To pick up from our last episode, Ingo has introduced us to receptor systems, built to pick up and send out information at levels, if left unactivated, do not usually pass through to conscious awareness. However, we all come pre-baked with these receptor systems. It is a simple, if not easy at first, matter of nurturing them to unfold from within and rise to our everyday awareness levels. The first excerpt from chapter 22, we'll get right into it, discusses this very aspect of our living our lives. Let's chow down, shall we? Each, therefore, has an enormous range of information receptors that are innately present in the same way that the skeleton, muscles, organs, and neural systems are present. Thus, because of the discoveries regarding receptors, it is possible to conceptualize each individual not only as a physical body, but also as a very elaborate array of information-sensing systems living amid a universe of information in the form of waves, signals, energies, and impulses. Something like this has in fact been understood here and there in the past and in various ways. For example, it has long been understood that some life forms simply respond to their environments. Other life forms, however, intervene in their environments and do so via a lesser or greater modicum of that factor called intelligence. So, we as beings, having this human experience, can be considered also as an elaborate array of receptor systems, swimming in a sea of information that takes the forms of waves, signals, energies, and impulses. How some life forms make use of these receptor systems to intervene into their environments, make fire, do cave paintings, create tools, toilets that wash your bum without you having to use toilet paper and do that with the power we like to label as intelligence to a greater or lesser degree. It's this intervening, this taking action, making a change in our life, in our environment, that is a very particular power we have during this human experience. Perhaps we don't know how valuable and how moving, how powerful that power is. I'm currently going back over Bob Frizzle's work um, nothing in this book is true, but it's exactly how things are. It's a very interesting book. It's good, good book. Riveting read. Goes through uh, ancient human history, ancient earth history. It's very interesting. Not the first time I've come across it. Talks about uh, Atlantis, two different races coming down. I mean, it gets, it gets into it. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting to read. It's very interesting to consider. Do I subscribe to it? I don't subscribe to much. But I enjoy chewing on as much 
fringe as I can get my mouth around. As he writes, and as many others have made the statement, uh, that we are led to believe that our thoughts and actions really don't do much more than affect our inside or local reality, but this couldn't be further from the truth, according to Bob. All our thoughts and actions, our acts of intervening in our environment, interior or exterior, have a huge impact, much more than we could ever be immediately aware of in our regular waking state. The ripples that you put into the pond of the universe are felt in the signals our receptor systems are tuned to. Send out open-minded, fun, inquisitive, productive, empowering, generative ripples. Send out the good ripples. Send out those good vibes. They do interact with other ripples and eventually ripple back. And so we shall ride this ripple into the first of two excerpts from Chapter 23. Indeed, impulse equals electrical magnetic power, which in turn equates to meaning, information, and which in turn again equates to some quantum of power and empowerment. Via the observations above, it can now be seen that electro-information impulses have some vital relevance to the status of power and empowerment, not only regarding a given individual, but also with respect to sources of power external to individuals. This is much to say that where there are few or no impulses, there will also not be much power. So to speak, the action is where the impulses are, or vice versa. The foregoing discussions clearly imply that the individual, in addition to viewing self as a physical body with mental equipment, also needs to view self as composed of equipment that deals in and with electromagnetic impulses. Impulse equals electrical magnetic power equals information and meaning equals power and empowerment. I like this mathematical perspective setup. And Ingo walks us to the next bit, where there are impulses, there is empowerment. The fewer the impulses, the less empowering the environment. Not a lot of empowerment going on with the impulseless couch potatoing beyond scrolling through streaming services to see what show you'll settle onto next. Also, not knocking the Netflix and chilling at all, there's times and places for those kinds of activities. But the point remains, placing yourself in an environment with more impulse-inducing information seems to be a net positive when it comes to empowerment. As Ingo says, quote-unquote, the action is where the impulses are. Positive or negative, the impulses will get you going. I'm going to follow that impulse to get us into the second excerpt from Chapter 22. But it can be roughly stated that information begins with impulses or at least with some energetic factors that stimulate various kinds of receptors. It can also be stipulated that information impulses must somewhere and somehow be sensed felt within receptor sensing systems. 
If they are, then, although information may exist and be available, it will not enter into impulse receptor system networks, or for that matter, into mind intelligence awareness systems. It can easily be seen that information and empowerment have something to do with each other. It can also be seen that if information and its implications are not sensed felt within individual mind intelligence power systems, then whatever the information might consist of will remain absent in those systems. All right, following impulses, information begins with impulses. Hmm. If we can sense, feel these impulses, we get the info being carried by them. If we don't sense, feel these impulses, the information remains absent from our awareness. This is why empowering ourselves via cultivating and nurturing our innate receptor systems and the powers associated with them is more important now than it ever was before. Now. It's important now. We are bombarded with crappy propaganda, right? Crapaganda. And all sorts of agenda-laden messaging that has very little to do with putting us in an elevated and more empowered position. Scrolling TikTok, at least here in the West, will rarely put you in a more empowered or potentially empowering position. To empower ourselves is to provide more awareness of impulses and information carried through them thus providing us with more optionality when it comes to making decisions and acting and influencing on our environment moment by moment in our living our lives. Right, 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 preach, 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 blah, 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 I know, I know, but for real, <laughs> more awareness, more information, more optionality, more empowerment, more empowerment, more freedom, more freedom, more living your life on your terms. All right, moving along to the first of two excerpts from chapter 24 now. As it must be then, the adding of information to reality boxes equates to various kinds of empowerment, or at least begins the reverse of depowerment. For it is the conscious addition of information that can permit increased integration of larger amounts of information derived from the receptor sensing levels. And that's what Ingo just said. Ingo just said it in a much more erudite and accessible way, what I rambled on about there before this excerpt. No need to take a hammer to this info. <laughs> we get it, Mr. Douglas, we get it. On to excerpt two from chapter 24. It is, however, necessary to comprehend that the five physical senses and the receptor sensing systems do not sense things in themselves, but sense pulse-like information about them. Once sensed, this pulse-like information is forwarded into other mind systems that integrate it with memory, experience, understanding, and with whatever knowledge has accumulated. Whether or not the integrations enter into the so-called conscious part of the mind is another matter. The reason is that if the integrated information is to enter into the conscious part, it also has to enter into the reality boxes that characterize that part. 
The chief characteristic of reality boxes is that they are structured upon specific and often quite limited frames of reference, and this condition might limit cognitive awareness at the conscious level. Even so, it must be stipulated that receptor information is entering the systems of the human organism. If it is not being accepted into the conscious part of mind, it is anyway being fed into other non-conscious parts of it, where it can merge with subconscious activity. After this, the receptor information can spontaneously emerge, for example, via dream states, intuition states, gut feelings, foreseeing phenomena, and also affect emotional and empathic levels. Okay, okay, we're getting into the nitty-gritty on how our receptor systems work. Ingo gives us a play-by-play here, which I appreciate. Understanding the stepping stones, information must cross, and what friends it accepts into its party along the way, to the conscious part of awareness, is helpful. He also makes the point that for us to be consciously aware of the information, it's got to filter through our reality boxes that pertain to the information coming in. If our reality boxes are fit as a fiddle, then we can handle and make use of the info. If our fiddle is not fit, well, there will be no music making based on the information, no matter how valuable and useful it may be. Our reality boxes are built upon frames of reference. More often than not, these frames of reference will limit awareness at the conscious level. Unless we consciously begin to build more optimal frames of reference. But, and also thank goodness for it, our non-conscious parts are still taking in all this information that our receptor systems are picking up. As long as our receptor systems are picking them up, they're picking them up. The info then mixes in with subconscious activity and can bubble up, as Ingo says, in dreams, gut feelings, intuitions, that spidey sense tingle we can feel, flashes of insight, So it pays to pay attention to these sensations, as they are the product of our receptor systems mixing with our subconscious to attempt to alert us in whatever way our reality boxes have deemed somewhat acceptable. Whatever cracks in between our frames of reference this information can slip through. We are fascinating beings, aren't we? It's like we are built to get information that can be of service to us even when we have systems in place to limit the awareness of that information. Okay, on to the first of three excerpts from chapter 25. The Discovery of Telepathy Receptors Attention is now drawn to items 7, 10, and 12 that were listed in chapter 21, and again provided below for ease of reference. 7. Skin receptors that recognize the temperament of other biological organisms. 10. Microsystem transducing of various forms of mechanical, chemical, and electromagnetic energy into meaningful nerve impulses. 12. Neurological receptors for interpreting modulated electronic information by converting it into analog signals for mental storage. While these three items may seem a bit technical, not to worry because all they really mean is that the human organism possesses receptors 
that are clearly part of the basis for telepathic reception of raw impulse information. The direct implication is that such information is converted into meaningful nerve impulses, whether the individual is consciously aware of it or not. The direct implication of that implication is that the human individual can, in potential at least, consciously recognize the meaning of the nerve impulses, providing that one has not become consciously insensitive to them. But even if one has been educationally conditioned to be consciously insensitive, there is often tendency of telepathic nerve impulses to break through into consciousness anyway, and so the individual experiences an event of spontaneous telepathy. Oh yes, this one's a doozy. The receptor system basis for telepathic abilities. We have, amongst our myriad receptor systems, whole systems in place specifically for picking up what other people are laying down and sending out what others could then pick up. And even if we've let these systems get dusty on the shelf because society told us they were useless or were byproducts of imagination, whatever that is, they still kick on with strong enough impact that will get spontaneous experiences of telepathy i.e. that friend getting in touch with you after you had a distinct impression of them, a very real feeling of discomfort or danger around a person, place, or thing, any, any noun, really. The compulsion to go left instead of right and avoiding a falling piano. We've all had those experiences. And in all seriousness, I've had uh, an experience before uh, uh, where I had that sensation. I ignored it. I had uh, one just before I got mugged on the streets of Chicago, uh, and I ignored it. I had a distinct sensation that something was up. We're coming back from a hookah joint. I may have told this story before. I probably have. Uh, I had just come back from uh, a nice mini vacation with my folks uh, and, and visiting my aunt and uncle. It was a great time. We were in the uh, West Virginia wilderness, enjoying the hot springs area there. Very uh, you know, therapeutic. So I'd flown back and I was hanging out with a friend. Uh, and then a new friend who's become a great friend. And uh, we had gone to go uh, enjoy some hookah in Lincoln Park in Chicago. And it was not that late. It was like 8.45. People were out jogging. They were out walking their dogs. It was dark. This was in August, I think. Anyway, we were walking down the street and um, I spot this dude, right? It was a black dude in baggy jeans and a baggy white t-shirt acting like a lookout in the middle of the sidewalk, not using the sidewalk, not walking on the side, standing there looking back and forth, you know, not like what you would normally notice sidewalk behavior to be, at least in my experience. I had a distinct sensation that something was up, something was not normal. I remember that sensation. It was like a low, fuzzy buzz, like in between radio stations and the volume turned up slightly, and it felt like the words, whoa, strange, watch out, pay attention. And then another portion of my mind chimed in saying, hey now, don't be a racist. And I'm not a racist. I could care less what the color of your skin is. I care about behavior, skill, talent, mindset, communication. Clearly, it's what I talk about here. I care about sigh and empowerment and yeah, all the cool stuff, aliens. But all right, so that culturally imposed thought that my spidey sense should be attributed to me, perhaps being a bigot, got me mugged. I ignored that 
amazing receptor system response to the unsafe situation at hand in the moment. I ignored it, but I remember it. I ended up uh, getting really, I got the shit kicked out of me. I, I had to get minor facial reconstructive surgery, but I also had an out-of-body experience. So, I mean, there were, you know, uh, now that I have great distance away from the experience, I got a lot out of it. Uh, I did leave my body and was able to look up at it. Did not feel any pain. I could see them wailing on my face, stomping my face out. And I did have the thought, oh my goodness, I could die right here. This is, oh wow, it's happening. But then I didn't. And I right back into my body and I was able to get up. It was crazy. When I left my body, I had very clear vision. Uh, I have terrible eyesight and I wear really um, thick glasses compared to the average individual. And when I uh, back into my body, they had, you know, really done a number on my face and my glasses were like, I, I couldn't find a friend of mine found them. But I couldn't see anything. Everything was just foggy and bloody. Anyway, I listen and take heed a lot more keenly now. It was a wild time. I still love my memory of that city, regardless of that situation. Okay. <laughs> Next chapter 25 excerpt. Here we go. There appear to be at least five sets of base human powers that can easily be recognized, although other individuals can probably identify additional ones. There are the powers empathic and telepathic, the powers of observing and the aware and attention powers. These powers can be thought of as fundamental or basic, since altogether they formulate a base upon which additional powers can become active. Although quite different in obvious and subtle ways, these five sets of base powers have important factors in common. One factor in common is that if these five base powers are subtracted from the human organism, then the future of the remaining organism is seriously in doubt. Ah, now we get to start to build this base. Ingo says there are at least five sets of base human powers. Empathic, telepathic, observing, aware, and attention powers. These five act as a base upon which others then are built up from. He also makes the point to say if you take any of these five away, it seems to endanger the organism's existence into the future. I find it interesting that psychopathy seems to include a, a lack of empathy, while with observation this trait being missing becomes fairly noticeable. In the past, it would be more difficult for a psychopath to show value for the tribe, right? There are times, let's uh, acknowledge all facets here, there are times when a lack of empathy comes in handy, like when you have to defend yourself from marauders trying to take what's yours. Take from your family. Take your family. You got to show those marauders what's what. Make an example. Maybe when you need to route them out once and for all and perhaps extract information in what others might find extremely unpleasant ways. There is value in certain circumstances uh, and if the psychopath has their shit together and doesn't go nutso on their own tribe, well, okay. But today, our society seems set up, in the West at least, to glorify this lack of empathy, and we have anti-heroes all over the place in media, fictitious gangsters and corporate leaders, as well as glorifying real baddies in true crime podcasts and Netflix specials. 
Hey, there is value in all, almost, almost all kinds of media. I used to love Survivor, so, you know, no judgment. But you get my point. There's a glorification of this stuff. And uh, let's not forget the real-life business and government world, along with the intelligence apparatus that seem to be making decisions leaning harder and harder for a happy bottom line or agenda execution, humans' well-being and happy sentiment and life be damned. Also interesting is this very same societal setup is the sharp absence of recognition and cultivation of these five basic sets in any specific official sense whatsoever. There is no school, as we've discussed at length in Volume 1, there is no power school. Nothing. Uh, well, <laughs> there, the, when I went to the conservatory uh, school, there was certainly a lot of empathic and awareness and attention and observing training. Not so much in terms of, uh, you know, awesome ESP powers, but you get pretty close in some instances. But again, no official school. It was all couched in performance. Uh, and uh, yeah, there is no official celebration or cultivation of empathic, telepathic, observing, aware, or attention powers in our society. Imagine if you could take a summer camp that would expose you and cultivate your awareness of those powers. Ooh, ooh, how exciting would it be to go back into the school year? How exciting would it be to get back into the autumnal season? Yeah, I took six weeks. I went to the beach. I trained up my telepathic and empathic powers. I learned some really awesome observation tactics. I'm just a little more aware now. And my attention is able to settle. I'm a lot more settled, bro. <laughs> okay, all right. On to the third excerpt from chapter 25, which ties right into this one. Thus, these five powers have long been considered as invasive by those informed enough to recognize them as such, especially invasive with respect to maintenance of power and to power games. And so any trend toward enlightenment about the five powers can be met with vivid outrage within this or that power structure. And such has been the clear-cut case in our recent modernist times with respect to the base powers of telepathy. Those powers, known absolutely to exist, have been considered an appropriate topic for parapsychology research, but only by parapsychologists. Otherwise, and for obvious reasons, such research has not achieved support of any power structure anywhere, excepting some short-term interest on behalf of secret espionage under some kind of power structure control. The upshot of such research is that if powers of telepathy are somehow enhanced, they will be elusive of power structure control. Ingo is making the same point I just made moments ago. The only place it gets any kind of daylight attention is in parapsychology. And he also says in the shadows, you know, shadow government, black budget programs. Who knows what some real, well-paid corpo projects are getting in research and development, but in the shadows they do get some leaning into under strict control. But, by and large, bringing this stuff up in the average every day is met at best with flippancy, and more often than not, with anger and aggression 
that it was brought up or has legitimacy in the first place. What are you wasting your time with that? Why don't you get a job? <laughs> but hey, I mean, that's, uh, that's real. All right. Last excerpt for this episode is from chapter 26. Literally speaking, things might be seen by everyone in an automatic eyeballing way. Identifying their connections requires something additional to the mere seeing. This something additional also needs to be more specializing than mere seeing. There is one conceptualizing term that fills the bill here, to observe. And so, the fact remains that seeing things and observing connections between them are two entirely different matters, because it is apparent that two different sensing systems are involved. In this rather roundabout way, we now arrive at the human powers of observing and which, in some dictionaries, are actually indicated as powers. Seeing things and observing the connections between them are two entirely different matters. Two different sensing systems are involved. There is, in fact, a specific human power of observing. This and I'm going to bring up my acting school again, this is one of the skills I was lucky enough to enjoy training in for the purposes of performance and character creation while I attended conservatory. As well, I mentioned briefly last episode that observing connections between things where others do not is one of the attributes of genius. And I am far from genius, I can attest to that strongly. However, the power of observation will meet you as deep as you delve into it. The rabbit hole of what kind of connections you can observe seems to be endless. That alone is exciting as it pertains to the potentials of empowerment. One of the first ways of observing I was trained in was how individuals hold themselves and what a body posture is communicating, both to the environment around them as well as the individual uh, interior life uh, in, in for themselves. Leaning back in your chair with your hands resting on the back of your head, elbows out, tells those around you you are relaxed and in control, even pleased by something in the current moment. It seems also to echo this sentiment inside yourself, raising interior levels of confidence. There is a TED Talk on this. I watched it, you know, maybe a decade ago, but it was all about body posture, how looking up to the sky when you walk will actually raise your uh, happiness and confidence levels rather than looking down toward your feet, which makes you wonder about everybody looking at their phones when they walk around looking down like that. going to do something to your mood. Standing with your hands on your hips, uh, just walking around your house with your hands above your head, just raising your hands above your head where nobody else is around for a little while will actually lift your mood. Don't judge me. Give it a shot. Give it a try. See what that body posture does. Observe your body posture. But anyway, people positioned with their uh, hands behind their head, with their hands above, you know, just in, in a relaxed position, they rarely sound nervous or anxious. Now compare this to being hunched over, uh, you know, with your face and eyes squinty and hovering dangerously close to a screen. Observe the difference in disposition of these people. Maybe they're a little bit more anxious, maybe a little more frustrated, maybe a little, you know, you know what I'm saying? We've seen them on the side of the street. I have been, I've caught myself walking down the street, you know, just scrolling, scrolling. I can't, I don't like that song. Give me a different song. 
But, sir, it does change your disposition. Give it a shot yourself. Feel the difference in yourself. All right, that will do it for us in this fifth episode of Exploration into Volume 2 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power, here on Hanging with Mr. Douglas. If you have enjoyed this, please clicky, likey, subscribey, share, and comment your experiences of your powers of observations. Do all the fun things. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. There's a bell somewhere, I think, so ring-a-ding-ding. Um, if you uh, want to take the full ride, both volumes of the audio versions of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power are available on Audible and Amazon. There's a link here in the description. You can find it on mrdouglas.com, M-I-S-T-3-R-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.com as well. Most definitely visit ingoswan.com, I-N-G-O-S-W-A-N-N.com. Get further into the wisdom Ingo shares with us all. And until next episode, enjoy experiencing your observation powers. Thanks for hanging.